<laughs> but do you know, do you know, one of the many benefits of editing the podcast is whenever I tell a joke that doesn't land, I just copy and paste in some laughter from you guys. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are always fucking laughing at my jokes these days. I've never been so funny. But I'm I'm lifting the cane, aren't I? I'm lift, lifting the cane into the films on trial. I'm chasing on it. It's just <laughs> a pale, old, shriveled man <laughs> with, a towel, with a wet towel on the floor. <laughs> An emaciated man behind it. and welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. Odo. And I'm Austin. <laughs> uh, I only week... just looked at my screen to see that Joel had actually gone before his name. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I, that'll do, that'll do, don't worry. Uh, and this week we continue our blockbuster season as we aim to put a blockbuster film on trial from each decade between the 1990s and the 2020s. This week, we leave behind the 90s and we excitedly leap into the noughties, greatly anticipating the tantalizing delights shown to us in 2001, A Space Odyssey. And although we didn't get any commercial space travel, lunar colonization, or Alex's favorite giant space babies, we did. We did get the culmination of the fantasy epic Lord of the Rings trilogy with 2003's The Return of the King. And this week, we're putting it on trial. So, is it a ring master or is it a ring stinger? <laughs> Essentially. Ring master? What? Well, you know, like a ring master, like a... Like a... Bret Hart, he was a big master, wasn't he? <laughs> right, right. Bret Hart, the late, the late superstar Billy Graham. Yeah, yeah, it. yeah. There we Keeping go. Keep it topical. Yeah. yeah, keep keep it very topical. Well done, Dave. Alex, try better. Uh, essentially, <laughs> will this film be placed on our esteemed hit list or our steaming shit list? Let's find out. But before we do, let's talk about our last film on trial, which was the 1999 sci-fi adventure, The Phantom Menace. Ozzy, you judge that trial and deem that it should be placed on the shit list. You've since gone away and watched The Phantom Menace, unfortunately. Did you make the right call, yes or no? In just those words, yes. However, it's got some really good bits to it, but it is boring at times. There's so much dialogue, unnecessary dialogue, but... For the most part, you know, it's it, it's not terrible. And if you think about it at the time as well, like, it was pretty good CGI considering. Ah. It's a bit junky now, but it's a... Uh, oh, yeah. I, I think it, yeah. it's a it's a tight one, is that it is a shit film because it's so boring at times. But some of the action sequences are exactly what you want from a Star Wars film. So uh, I, maybe I would I would still watch it again. And I'll probably still say it's a shit film afterwards. I'll complain <laughs> about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, it's, is it, does anybody else have any final points on The Phantom Menace that they failed to mention last week? <laughs> I think we gave it a good go. <laughs> I feel like we could do another trial. I've got, I feel like I've got another hour's worth of material to say. Uh, but I'll leave it at that. Uh, maybe that will be something for our Patreon content. Okay, right. Thank you very much, Ozzy. Now on to the trial itself. Now, all of the roles have been picked out of the hat at random, 
I have taken this week's insults from several Lord of the Rings fan sites, apart from uh, Aussies, which I've just made myself. (laughs) 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 But acting as defense and trying to get this film placed on the hit list will be Dave, who is just like Christopher Lee's character, Saruman. He is a commanding and cunning presence. He wasn't born evil, but was corrupted. He's no (laughs) cackling, maniacal villain. Instead, he uses his regal presence and shrewd tactical mind to meticulously plot the downfall of others. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll take that. He is a conniving little bastard. I really (laughs) am. I think that's pretty pretty spot on, to be honest. Um, There's only one person that corrupted him, though, Gavro. Yeah, to be fair, <laughs> Sauron over there. <laughs> and joining Dave in defense is Ozzy. And Ozzy is just like Elijah Wood's character, Frodo Baggins, a short, hairy-footed guy who's about to embark on a very long journey. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's quite yeah. fair, yeah. yeah. He's, move, he's moving house. <laughs> well, it, well, it was, I know it wasn't the last episode. It was the episode before where you got likened to a hobbit twice. So I fear it's... <laughs> Not a giant leap. Anyway, uh, acted as prosecution and trying to get this film placed on this shit list is Alex. And Alex is just like Sean Astin's character, Samwise Gamgee. <laughs> I can see your face already. It's not going to be bad. Don't worry. Shy and somewhat socially awkward, but he is ferocious in the sorry, fight. Sorry, hang on. So, <laughs> But it's totally okay, Alex. Not, a problem, not that bad. Yeah. No, great, 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 great. Go, go, go on, carry on. But he is ferocious <laughs> in a fight and clever and quick on his feet. And uh, this is a bit I have added myself. He started this adventure by leaving his bag end behind. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Joining Uh, Alex in prosecution is Joel. And Joel is just like the character Sauron. His lust and power know no bounds. Good start for Joel there. Well done. Uh, now, just like real court advocates, the defense and prosecution will be making the best case for their roles. These may or may not be their real opinions, however, so do stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear what they really think. And in the role of the judge who has to decide which list this film should be placed on, hit or shit, based solely on the arguments put to them, is me. And I'm just like Ian McKellen's character, Gandalf, often described as quick to anger, but easily quick to laugh. I also <laughs> possess the Ring of Fire. <laughs> there's, a char- there's a character as well, Gav, which is quite like you. He's called Shagrat. <laughs> <laughs> and I, 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 I googled about his name, and it, his name comes from Shaggy Rat. So. Oh, sure, yeah. Tolkien. Yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> Honestly, like when I was when I was re- researching these insults, man. It just sounds like a bunch of bollocks. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I know I should be impartial as the judge, but fucking hell, man. Anyway, uh, before we get started, I think we should probably give the audience a bit of a better understanding as to what this film is all about. So let us spin the wheel of impressions. Okay. Uh, so what we do here is we read out the synopsis in the style of one of the cast or characters from the film. This week it has landed on Ozzy. So how would we like Ozzy to read the synopsis? Gollum. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's gotta be. 
What were they? Sorry. It's Return of the King, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> 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 you did watch Return of the Jedi by accident, did you? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I did watch the right one. I just didn't have the right IMDb open. Uh, How does he speak now? Gandalf. Gandalf. There you go. There you go. You got it. Gandalf and Aragorn lead the world of men against Sauron's army. I can't do his voice. <laughs> I, I tell you to what, draw right? his gaze from Frodo and Sam as they approach Mount Dot Dot Dot. <laughs> Just says show Mount more. She's got to click on the show more. Show bit. more. <laughs> show more. <laughs> Mount Dot Dot Dot. <laughs> you did your research on this one, didn't you? <laughs> uh, hey, I tell you what, mate. Uh, does can anybody do an impression of Gollum? I feel like Joel can. On Joel, me. <laughs> um, it's it's a tough one, isn't it? Like it, it, it's so distinctive. Let me try. It's probably going to end up like a leprechaun, like Ozzy though. <laughs> <laughs> Gandalf and Aragorn. <laughs> <laughs> should, should we all have a go? <laughs> Lead okay. the world of men. <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing with the Gollum impression, you either can or you can't. There's yeah, no, I, I can't. There is no try. There's no halfway. Uh, yeah, I can't do one either. Gandalf and Aragorn. Lead the world of men. Yeah, I can't do it. I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like, uh, oh, no, wait, that's just a regular balloon. <laughs> <laughs> Alex? Gandalf and Aragorn? No, <laughs> no it's, it's much harder than you think, isn't it? Yeah. I, I can't even remember how he sounds. I haven't seen a well, lot of things in about 10 years. To okay. <laughs> so, I think like, if you said an actual Gollum phrase, it's easier. Like, if What's you a Gollum like, phrase? Precious! My precious. My precious. <laughs> that's all, that's not bad to be fair. That's the best one. Yeah, that's, that's the best like, one. Hello, <laughs> <laughs> There you go. It's so close, close to the rest of this one. Right, okay. Right, so enough of this. Uh, right, I'm not going to lie to you. I watched Lord of the Rings 2 when I was working in the cinema and I saw it about, and I'm not even exaggerating, 20 times. I said to myself, after it went off the screens, I will not watch another Lord of the Rings film again. <laughs> I feel like I've been mentally and physically scarred by both Tolkien and Jackson. And <laughs> I'm just laying my cards on the table. I think Lord of the Rings is a bit shit. So, defense. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> defense. Why am I completely wrong? And why should this be placed on the hit list? You're aware of the story, I assume, Gav. You don't need to be told about what's happening here, I guess. Uh, well, well, just in case a listener who doesn't, <laughs> doesn't know what Lord of the Rings is about, give us a little brief, very, very brief overview. So, Lord of the Rings is... An Not the epic. whole fucking Lord of the Rings trilogy, man. Let's get to Start <laughs> at so, the beginning, so, Ozzy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're at, we're at the third part of of the trilogy of the Lord of the Rings, where where um, Frodo Baggins has to take a magic ring from his little quiet house in the Shire all the way to a mountain. Um, dot dot mount, dot. Do mount dot dot dot. 
<laughs> so he has to go to Mount Ellipses, Mount Doom, all the way into, <laughs> all the way into Mordor, and that's where the big baddie Sauron lives. Um, so this is the third part of the series where he's really close now. So there's been lots of fights along the way, big epic battles. We are now at the end of the Dawn of Man. This is where um, everything now is spicier, it's bigger, it's better, it's 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 bolder than it ever has been before. So there's several plot lines happening all at once. Um, so there's the um, you've got the all of the humans and like the the men like creatures are looking to 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 fight at their last king, uh, the last um, Minas Tirith. So Minas Tirith is this like amazing castle. And it's considered like the gateway to um, to where the end of where man's territory is and the rest of it is is like orcs and Mordor and stuff. So they're all headed there because that's where the big battle's happening. At the same time, Frodo's getting closer to the to the mountain. So this is all building into a massive, massive climax where Frodo has to climb through all sorts of tribulations, past the dirtiest spider you've ever seen in your life, uh, through the orcs, loads of like pretty scary tense scenes pretty scary tense yeah sounds like Leeds Festival there's a sign saying free candy inside isn't it? <laughs> and then and then and then ultimately he makes it to the to the um to Mount Doom and he's Mount able dot, to drop dot, the dot. ring into the mountain and save the day um but the the thing that makes this so while the story itself summarized like that is a little bit haphazard, particularly when I've tried to piece together like my scatterbrain uh, into into an order. The great thing about it is that it captures the book in such an amazing way that the scenes that you witness on the screen are the same screens you they're, they're the same scenes that you imagined when you read the book, and I think that's what's so great about it. And it's one of the reasons why it's spread over such a long space of time you know and, and over such a long film basis that you, you've got a trilogy because the book is massive in terms of detail and description and so they've really tried to do it justice by building this up and i think that's the the key point is that it it's still a three-parter within the three-party you know it's it's a nice classic way of telling the story building up to the climax and then the the happy ending whilst <laughs> You're on fire today. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I mean, he did mention about destroying the ring, <laughs> and um, and just just through through just every scene in this just really <laughs> brought me back to how I felt when I read the book, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's that's real testament to it to a good honest storytelling. Okay, Alex, good honest storytelling, and more importantly, not shit. <laughs> it, look, I'd agree with the Aussie there where it is a faithful retelling of the books but I, I read the books after about five goes of having a run at them and just not being able to get through them and I've never talked to anyone who's read all the way through the books and will say they are flawless, flawlessly entertaining things you know everyone knows they are very boring books in places and extremely just eked out there's whole sections like the half of the two towers is just frodo and sam walking and it's really really dull i found return of the king was the weakest book and i think it's made the weakest film i think you know like ozzy was saying it's like it's all epic and big 
but it actually felt like a huge the, the middle part of the film feels very much like the end part of the phantom menace does you know where it's just those chop changing you're in one story and then it chops to the next story and then it goes on and then that story sort of ekes out a little bit longer and then you jump back to the last story and it feels more like there's been three separate stories that have been spliced rather than this being all of the way through uh, the books aren't perfect and so you can't look back and say well it's faithful to the books the books are very dull and you know part of i think the story the problem with the story here is that just the source material i know this is almost like you know this is like sacrilege you can't say this about tolkien the source material isn't great and i was thinking about lucas a lot i think Tolkien and Lucas have a lot in common in the sense of great at world building, but maybe you need someone just to come in and say like, whoa, you need to just chop that out like that. You know, a lot in the book is like not another song. Come on, we don't need to describe this. We don't need to, you know, the action in the book isn't, in, isn't even particularly impressive in places. And there's just bits that just take absolutely forever in the story you got these bits that just, they're just one note and they last forever. The elves leaving, just go. Oh my God, just go. Just stay, go, come in. But there's just loads of these momentous talking about the elves leaving. Arwen and Aragorn, yeah, you know, you get it. There's Denethor, this like completely two-dimensional character who's in charge of Gondor, you know, the last bastion, you know, got you you when you watch it, you'll you'll hear these constant refrains like the last bastion of humanity and all, you know, all of these really over the top stuff. But he's just a straight up idiot. Bit of a just a, you know, like basically um you know, like the, I can't remember the police chief's character in Die Hard. The guy who's constantly wrong all the way through. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like constantly making the wrong calls. And you're just like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't care. But, you know, his story is just spliced over about three hours. Do you know what I mean? This film is three, three and a quarter hours. And weirdly enough, even though the book's really long, it just didn't need to be. Sam and Frodo, just like, just get a room. I, I get you tired. Just like, I don't, you know, just just stop it it's just too much so it takes a really long time and i think i wouldn't even particularly lay the blame at the at the filmmaker to be honest you know peter jackson i just don't think return of the king itself as a story is one of the stronger ones i think you got a lot more going on in the first the fellowship you got the helm's deep which is where it's like leading up to the battle and then in return of the king it just tries to give these epic things and you're like oh this is what i wanted to see and then when you actually see these huge battles, you're like, no, this is actually, this loses the impact of Helm's Deep because it's so grand and it's so epic. It loses the the small thing of the fellowship going through and getting ambushed because you're back in, you're just spending what is essentially two hours in a battle that just lasts forever. And I, I couldn't make it through in one sitting. I had to watch it in chunks. It, it's just so long and it's just too boring. Okay. Uh, long and boring, Dave, and a bit underwhelming. Why is that not the case? Uh, yeah, I, I completely disagree. We've spoken a lot about Tolkien's writing, the source material, and the, the books that this is based on. And those books are regarded as classics, you know, just like to point out. But I have to agree with Alex. They are quite tedious. I've read them myself, and everyone stops at Tom Bombadil, don't they? Tom Bombadil <laughs> gets everybody. Have you ever spoken to anyone about Lord of the Rings? It's like, yeah. oh, I only got so far, and then I had to stop. It's Tom Bombadil every time. You, you and that's why, though, and not miss anything, isn't it? So that's... I but just... that's why Tom Bombadil's not in the trilogy. He is not mentioned because it's dull. The scourging of the Shire that ends the Return of the King novel is left out of the film completely because uh, Philippa Jackson said, and, and I agree with her, that it was anticlimactic. 
it wasn't a good ending to the story. Now, Tolkien, his defenders will say that he wrote, rather than just tell a simple story, he wrote the Lord of the Rings trilogy as a sort of history. He really built this world out and he padded it out and he really wrote it like like it would write a historical epic, like it was recounting a tale rather than trying to thrill you with the twists and turns and the narrative and that sort of thing. And it's like, yeah, that is a kind of how he writes. And that's probably why it's not that engaging, especially not to modern audiences. But one thing you cannot fault the man is his imagination. Tolkien came up with basically the fantasy genre as we know it now. You know, he came up with the concept of orcs and balrogs, and it was him who lifted the idea of elves and dwarves as we now know them from Norse mythology. Until then, they were just kind of sprites. You know, although we had them, this is this has defined fantasy as we know it. You know, his books, we wouldn't have had Dungeons and Dragons without it. We wouldn't have had anything. We wouldn't have had the fantasy games, fantasy books, fantasy films, everything that's come after this, whether it wants to admit it or not, owes a huge debt to Tolkien and his imagination. And it's his imagination that's on the screen now. It's not his writing. Although they take some great snippy lines of dialogue and some great moments to add to the script, it's his story that is lifted. And that's what Ozzy says when he says, you see the essence of the book on the screen. It is the essence. All the padding and all the tedium that you got with the novel is removed. It's still an epic story. It's a long story that needs to be done justice. Hence, it does have a hefty runtime, but it is a thrilling story. Every element of this trilogy was done to perfection. I don't think the Lord of the Rings will ever be done this well ever again, even if CGI down the line improves, which it still holds up holds up pretty well today. But even if that is improved online, this was cast perfectly, written perfectly, directed perfectly. This is the adaptation that even diehard fans of Tolkien's novel, and there are many of them out there, lauded and said, this is the ultimate adaptation. This is all we're going to need. This is a perfect adaptation of what could be quite a heavy book to try and get into but has this golden gem of a story at the heart of it and it's that story that's been adapted and it's that story which has made this one of the most successful films of all time okay thank you very much dave alex i just want to come back to you before i pass over to joel i'm sorry because you did mention the book saying that it's quite a tedious and long slog i want to see how the script fares Obviously, you know, we've spoken about the book itself, the, the, the source material, but what is different about the script? You know, are there any weak points to it? Um, well, there's a lot less uh, levity in this. You know, in the first couple of films, I wouldn't ever say, you know, you wouldn't say it was a, a laugh riot, but there's like moments of sort of joy between the characters or, you know, this, you've got like the hobbits to sort of have a little bit together. And, you know, in the next one, you know, you've got uh, Gimli and Legolas in the, in the two towers who have their sort of, you know, their rivalry, which is interesting to watch. There's like the snip is very small, little sharp little bits of that in here, but they're very rare. Mostly the script is just this ridiculously momentous uh, dialogue that's just, you know, it's... um. It, it's just Ian McKellen, you know, as Gandalf constantly saying, like, we come to it at last, the last great battle of our time. You know, and, and this is before when it's like, you know, the battle for Middle Earth is finished. It, you know, a couple of times it's great, but it feels like what the script is doing is it's like it's ran out of that punchy fun stuff and it's just falling back on this momentous insane dialogue as just a backup because that's just fills in between it so you've got you know you, you've got a bit where bernard hill in his head is going so it is it is before the walls of Minas Tirith, the doom of our time will be decided 
you know, in, or, or one line which I just, it was like a, one of his soldiers comes up to him and says, we cannot defeat them. No, but we will meet them in battle nonetheless. And honestly, just after a while, you just think, I, I don't, this isn't good writing. This is just a constant. You can only have a couple of, you know, they may take our lives, but we will take, you know, they'll never take our freedom. You can only have a, a couple of good lines like that in a movie. If you're just pumping out this sort of, ridiculous stuff you know without any levity there's even one bit where pippin sings a little song as the, the horsemen are running towards to their deaths and there's a ballad over it and i just i'm sorry i just felt nothing because it's it's trying so hard to get this kind of like you know this i don't know this kind of like emotion out of me without any of the other stuff so there's just hugely uninteresting scenes where there's just a massive amounts of slow dialogue between two characters and this just kind of repeats 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 and then we go for things smashing 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 and then we go back to slow dialogue repeat 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 very little levity and even even the hope even the slight hope scenes are just way overwrought so yeah, I, you know, I, at no point does anyone sort of say, hey, we're actually doing not bad here. Do you know what I mean? We seem to be winning every single battle that we seem to be doing against these guys. There's no there's no levity to it, and it's just unbearable. Three hours of this just po-faced dialogue is just unbearable. Okay, thank you very much, Alex. Uh, just coming back to Dave, sorry, because you mentioned about the script before going into a bit more detail would you like to counter any of alex's arguments there saying that some of this dialogue is just painful to listen to and it's not very well written it sounds like it was a very dense source material in the first place to adapt and it sounds like it hasn't got much better in translation absolutely not completely incorrect uh dense source material yes i will agree with that statement but um i have to disagree i mean they did struggle with that part of this but they just got a really good cast together like uh philippa jackson said to peter when she was doing the script she said at one point um i just can't get this dialogue to make sense i just don't know how it's going to be delivered and he said well whose line is it oh, it's, it's gandalf so it's like oh, ian will get it off the page don't worry the dialogue may be tedious, but with the with this cast assembled, they can get it off the page. It's delivered, and it sounds good. It sounds great. Uh, you know, there's a great line for me and McKellen. You know, we talked about Gandalf's lines. We talked about death being just another path. You know, one that we all must take. That is a beautiful speech. There are some great moments, these great, beautiful soliloquies that you get in Tolkien. And although they are reduced and they are kind of condensed, they are still there. You still got this great literary mind writing your script for you. And it's beautiful. And as for, you know, uh, the song, there are many songs in Lord of the Rings. And yeah, the, in the novel, they are quite tedious. We got one in Return of the King here. You know, everyone has a song about something. It's like, oh, I've made breakfast. Let's sing a song about it. <laughs> oh, here the elves are going. Let's sing a song about it. Oh, I, I tripped on a rock. Here's a song I know about a guy who once tripped on a rock. He's like, for God's sake. You know, we, the war would be over by now if they just stopped writing songs about everything. <laughs> but we got, we got one in Return of the King. We got Pippin singing this very melancholy song as you know the these troops are basically sent to charge the enemy lines uh against ridiculous odds because the general the old denethor the steward of gondor has basically lost the plot and has no care anymore for the lives of his men and you know when alex says the dialogue is po-faced remember the tolkien was writing this in the backdrop of world war ii that influenced his writing heavily and it was very serious. He thought it was, they were facing the battle for humanity. He was very outspoken against Nazism. He saw trouble coming way before many others did. And he was very outspoken about the battle for humanity's soul, 
that was raging in Europe right now. And that influenced the Lord of the Rings here. That is why he's got it's, it's serious times. You know, these are dark mm-hmm. times. This is either do or die. So that's why it's serious. That's why everyone's not cracking a one liner every 10 seconds because people are dying. This is serious. Generals are sending troops off to die. How Neither could you, stuff. Alex? You know. I'm not saying I wanted Benny Hill style comedy. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> people are, you know, people are dying that. here while he's I'm writing this. There's a reason why it's serious. There's a good reason why it's serious. And that said, you do get some moments of levity and moments of humor. You know, the, the banter between Legolas and Gimli is still there. You've got these moments of humor with Merry and Pippin. There are characters that can bring life and levity to it. But at the same time, it is quite a serious story. And the final thing I want to bring up, Theoden has some great lines and yes they seem clunky but there is a whole i remember seeing a poster nine conversational tricks to make you sound like theoden you know instead of saying <laughs> i know you say i know your face instead of saying <laughs> instead of saying i'm hurt say my body is broken <laughs> we should hang out let this be the hour where we draw swords together <laughs> talking like Theoden is an absolute gem I tell you and, and Bernard Hill delivers these lines which yeah on paper they look they sound daft but given to an actor who knows what he's doing and he can get them off the page no matter how stilted a script may seem this dialogue can be delivered and it can be delivered with you know great aplomb I have to say okay thank you very much Dave I will counter though you did mention the Perry and what M- M- Pippin, what are they called? Mary and Pippin. Perry. Perry. <laughs> yeah, you, you did mention that they were quite funny. Uh, after uh-huh. watching the second and one Gimbley 20 times, yeah. I remember them being quite fucking irritating, to be honest. <laughs> Look, Gav, I'm just going to put this out there. Peter Jackson never said you should watch one of his films 20 times in a row. J.R. Tolkien probably would say you probably shouldn't watch one of his films 20 times in a row. If you watch The Thing 20 times in a row, Gav, they might hey, start grating. I bet he has one. done that, Dave, and he <laughs> fucking loves <laughs> it. Dave, all, all I'll tell you, from watching The Thing 20 times in a row, Kate Russell just gets more handsome every time. Uh, <laughs> anyway, right, moving on. Dave and Alex have both mentioned various battles, and they've mentioned that, yeah, there's dialogue-heavy scenes. There's arguments there as to whether they are too dialogue-heavy or too boring or... Or, or if it's a case that actually, when they're delivered by the right people, they're actually really effective. Or the action. The, I mean, this is essentially an action-adventure, sci-fi, epic, fantasy, whatever it might be. There, There is a lot of action involved in this. So, Joel, can you tell me a bit about the action? Anything else you want to cover as well, whether that's direction what are the what what's the CGI like at the time? Uh, you know, two thousand and three, twenty years ago, has it dated at all? Yeah. Does it still stand up? Uh, so this for me is more or less where the, the film falls down a little bit, especially compared to the first two. Uh, kind of touching on what Dave and Alex both said, I think in Return of the King, there's a bit of a kind of lack of nuance in the story as well um if you've read the book you know one of the big plot points in this should be you know frodo and sam's like deteriorating relationship you know pushed along by galt in this they kind of portray frodo and sam breaking up because they've lost some bread which is lambus bread Uh, and it just for me that kind of bit ruined the whole character of frodo because it just kind of made him look like you know less heroic you know i realized that it's meant to display it's kind of deteriorating physically and mentally but i just think it was such a petty 
issue and it was a really bad pickup i think from peter jackson to display that as like the moment that soured their relationship it's like he's hangry um, <laughs> that's not quite how it that's not quite how it is that's the straw that breaks the camel's back essentially it's built up over the the prior two hours you know the uh it, it is the breakdown in the way that the ring has taken hold of of frodo and the way he he's trying you know he's still a friendly guy he's trying to look after he sees the the soul within smeagol within Gollum. so he wants to try he thinks he's able to save Gollum by the end you know that's part of the thing there that actually there's some goodness in this uh creature and that, so that's always ticking along but also there's the ring there trying to split them up so whenever whenever sam you know is distrustful of smeagol or of Gollum, and he gets a little bit angry you see this this break down there and as they get tired it just gets to that point where they're having a fight sam's having a fight with with Gollum, and then Gollum's sneaky about it so they have to fight causes the fight and he knows that that means where frodo's gonna have to take a take a side and then by saying that no sam just hates me and he wants you to get rid of me because you he wants the ring for himself that's you know that's the breakdown and it's the the bread is just a very clever way of showing how sneaky and actually how um the sort of the lengths and, and, and treachery that, that Gollum will go to. Okay, so clever but lazy. Speaking of which, how hand back to Joel. Uh, Joel... <laughs> I actually said not lazy, sorry. Oh, did you? Oh, sorry. No, well, I, well, I'm not going to change what I said. I, I agree. It, it is really lazy. Um, uh, the only other story point that I want to quickly pick up on as well is, um, you know, I think both Alex and Dave mentioned him, like Denethor, that, like the steward of Gondor. Like in the books... Gondor's like this uh, mighty nation. You know, they are more. They've got more like military might than any other kind of nation in the in Middle Earth. Uh, but in the film, Gondor's portrayed as really quite weak, and Denethor's kind of just portrayed as this like really mad, you know, ridiculous guy. And it just doesn't match up. I think it's just a, again a, a bit lazy. Kind of this guy who's got like a very deep personality, layered personality, and they just portray him completely wrong. Uh, but moving on to the CGI and the aesthetics, as I said, this for me is where it falls down massively because in the first two films, the main bad guys essentially are the Urukai, who are the, those big brooding orcs. Uh, you know, they've got massive teeth, massive muscles. They look really, really threatening. The orcs in this film look very, very cartoony. And I've got a quote here from, from Peter Jackson. He said that they moved because basically he what happened peter jackson he went back to this film realizing that the orcs don't look menacing enough especially compared to the orakai in the first two films and it's direct quote from him he said the way that they moved are like diaper walks and they are <laughs> they, they bend over they walk like they've had a shit and they've got shit in the nappy that, that's literally how they walk um and you know despite all of his kind of retrospective efforts if you like it's clear that he just didn't have enough time to fix it and they just don't look menacing enough for me Another kind of big point, I think, on this is how they kind of disregarded the scale. So, uh, for example, the last battle in the film is um, Aragorn and, and the men, they kind of, they march out on the Black Gate of Mordor. In the books, there's meant to be 7,000 men under Aragorn, but in the film, there's probably like a few hundred. And again, just a direct comparison, in the, in the book, there's meant to be hundreds of thousands of orcs. And in the film, there's probably maybe like five or 10,000. 
So I think they've really, really messed up the scale. And I know, like, obviously money, CGI, all that stuff comes into it. But I think, like, the whole kind of a point in the book is that it's it's like a really desperate situation. <laughs> like, it's unwinnable almost, you know, like, even though there's 7,000 men, there's hundreds of thousands of them. Whereas here, it's like a few hundred. And then, like, all these kind of, uh, as I already said, like, cartoon villain, like, orcs come out and only a few thousand of them you already know that, you know, it's not going to be like a really hard battle for them because they, in the last film, they dispatched, you know, thousands of Orokai who are like these big, beefy guys and much, much harder fights. So I, I think the first two films almost undermine this film just because of how well and, and you know, how thoroughly designed all the villains and all the creatures and things like that are. So I think overall, like the CGI kind of in this film although there isn't a lot of it in terms of the main bad guys are all kind of practical effects, the masks, the makeup and that type of thing, which I really respect. But the CGI is mostly, they just kind of duplicate the enemies. So you might have like one row of horses and then the CGI will just be everything behind that row of horses. So I think it still holds up relatively well in terms of the CGI. I just think, as I say, that there's some really, really poor decisions in terms of this is meant to be the penultimate film and the the villains just aren't menacing anymore. There is one or two, like, you know, there's the, the, the dark riders and things like that who ride like big beasts. And there's one or two kind of orc generals that look pretty good, but on the whole, I think it's, it's not done very well. And then just to round up, what really annoyed me about this film is there is like a scene where Aragorn, Legolas and Gimli go and recruit the army of the dead. And then they use the army of the dead to basically win the battle. I think it's called like the Battle of Pelennor Fields, which is the battle outside of, of Minas Tirith. They use those dead guys to basically, they just decimate whatever's left of the orcs. But then it's kind of like that catch-22 situation because you're just kind of left thinking, well, why didn't they just go to them and say, just wipe out everything for us? And then, you know, jobs are good and type well, of thing. So, like, There's, it's a massive, massive plot hole, which they cover in the books. I can't remember how they do it. But it's not as, you know, cut cut and dry as, yeah, just go out and kill everything for us. Because when you watch the film, you'll see, like, the dead guys, they absolutely decimate what, what's there. And they oh, they're like zombies. Yeah, they're like zombies, like so ghosts. they can't be killed. They're already ghosts. dead. Ghosts. They're like ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he could have just said to them, go to Mordor, just wipe out everything that's there. And, you know, jobs are good and we're all done. So there's quite a lot of plot holes as well, which are, um, you know, kind of scooted over. But I've said quite a lot there. So, okay. Um, I mean, right. you, you mentioned the ghost army, which I never knew about in Lords of the Rings. Uh, Ozzy. Right. I'm going to start. What the fuck's that about? I'm going to. All right. So first, let's start with the ghost army. Okay. So the ghost army are a set of men who previously were under. Uh, they were they were soldiers of Gondor. And when they uh, did their last time, there was a big battle. They went away, the, the king died. That's sort of the return of the king. Those guys then went off. Instead of coming back and being honorable men, they went off like raping and pillaging and just generally being shits. So they never got um, to go to rest. They didn't get the honorable death and all that stuff. A bit like a Viking Valhalla type effort. Mm -hmm. So they, they were then trapped in this space and they made it their own and they don't let anyone living through. That's the gist of it and the only time the only person i'll ever answer to is the true king of gondor which as it happens is who comes to meet them he turns up and he said and the only way they let him through is he says i will 
deem your oath fulfilled. So their oath is to die and to to serve Gondor, basically. So if he deems their oath fulfilled, they get to go to rest and they go back to see their families and all that stuff. And that's the deal. And they strike a deal. You come into battle with me one last time and then I'll let you go. So he does that. So they go for the one last battle. They know that they should keep them. At the end of the battle, the dwarf uh, Gimli says to him, "Whoa, don't get, don't let them, don't fulfill their oath. We need them for the next one. You know, we're going to Mordor, but he can't. These guys have, you know, there's a there's a deal that's been made. You can't just carry them on. So that's the thing, and it shows you the trustworthiness of uh, of everyone essentially by letting them go. The other thing is the issue of uh, ratio of man to orc. Uh, I, I don't think it's an issue. I, I don't really think it's that big a problem. Yes, the scale may be wrong but it's kind of like you know the 300 it, it's it's more dire and more jeopardy to have less humans against such a big like that west ham fan who, who beat up all those <laughs> those ultras the other night exactly just like that he was being up the ultras a single man uh taking on all of the orc army of the uh the, <laughs> those those italian orcs um, yeah. and uh <laughs> <laughs> so uh but it's that same uh it's that same feature isn't it it's a lot more impressive to see a very few people fighting a lot of stuff rather than okay but how, how well is it done though i mean i think know. it's brilliant i think i think that the, there's only one clunky scene for me in the entire cgi setup and it's and it's a very very small scene to do with an elephant because everything leading up to that is absolutely brilliant <laughs> <What>? <laughs> it's by the by because it, it's a very very small scene and that's the only one and every time i see it, i go oh that's a shame because the rest of the film is fucking spectacular honestly the visuals are probably they're some of the best i've ever seen it's like joel said you've got lines of you've got lines of lions horses. as well <laughs> uh, no lions unfortunately but they should have used lions it would have been oh, a, a easy oh. win they, but they used the walls from the previous film, so they, you can't use them twice. Yeah. <laughs> um, honestly, it's spectacular visuals. It's like it's a okay. real blockbuster. It's it, it's it's larger than life in such a way. You know, they've used the the scenery of of New Zealand to great effect. You know, you you're aware of the visual. You've seen the visuals, and then it mixed with the music. It's just so epic, mate. It, it's it's these these big sweeping shots of the of the scenery, and they've used hundreds and hundreds of extras to make this happen you know it's mm-hmm. like the orcs big chunks of the orcs are actual new zealand army are like new zealand sports stars all sorts of people are in there because they're built their their proper muscly regimented people to mix in with the cgi so you don't you don't get that feeling of like um the uncanny valley type effort yeah so it's not like the phantom menace where it was just like lots of CGI, it's actually real people. Yeah, built in. hundreds and hundreds of drones that are just clearly the computer. You're not; these people are actually fighting each other. You know, there's real people fighting real people, and then maybe yes, yeah, some of the background maybe is CGI, but it's properly choreographed. It's so well shot. I mean, for me, it's like effortless. I think this way the CGI blends in. I, I really don't think it's as clunky as it gets on. So. For me, I, I think it's state of the art, state of the art at the time, still state of the art now. Yeah, I think it's audacious cinematography is what I wrote down here. Okay, well, I mean that sounds quite good. And um, Joel, different orcs, man. Pretentious. Get your head in the game, different orcs. Pretentious. <laughs> <laughs> but 
Right, uh, I'm going to pass on now because we've spoken a lot about the cinematography, the action, the direction. It all sounds really good, but the, I'm still hung up a bit on the ratio of action to dialogue heavy scenes. And there was agreement, I think, in both the defense and the prosecution that there is quite a lot of dialogue heavy scenes. But the the sticking point here or, or, or the argument from the, the defense was that the dialogue heavy scenes are done by terrific cast members who make them seem not boring. <laughs> so Dave, I'm going to pass it over to you to talk about castle characters. Is there anything else though that you want to touch upon to counter what Oz? You can counter me if you want. But... You can't counter us, <laughs> yeah, Dave. Let's just start I mean, Dave, do you, want, do you want to counter anything about this fucking ghost army or elephants? <laughs> ghost elephants. Ghost elephants. Now, that I would have loved to have seen. Ghost <laughs> elephants would have been something. No, I mean, that's absolutely right. Those are all in the film. Well, they're called elephants, aren't they? He kind of changes the name. It's just like... <laughs> <laughs> oh, there he goes. <laughs> there he goes. Completely different creature. Completely different creature. Yeah, I invented Timothy it. elephants. I invented yeah, yeah. it. Get Timothy Olyphant's tsunami of them coming out. It's like James Cameron with Avatar 2. They're not whales. They're clearly whales, James. No, they're not whales. Uh, but that's, um, the ghost army, actually, it, makes, it kind of makes sense at the time. I mean, uh, Sauron is a necromancer. Don't take an army of the dead to a necromancer. It ain't going to end well. So I think that was the reason I assumed the army of the dead would not be useful if you actually took them to Mordor. And the elephants actually done quite well. They actually bring like a different a different level to the battle. You know, they use them like uh, they're decked out like tanks almost. Yeah. You know, they got these men in like, you know, riding the elephants on top like uh, like yeah. You'd imagine like Mad Max. A bit like Mad Max. I'm trying to think of. <laughs> You know when you see old paintings of like the old Indian armies when they used to support Maharajas and that sort of things, and yeah. you had like warriors on the backs of elephants. It's that sort of thing that clearly inspired him. Okay. Um, and it actually it looks quite good. It brings a new dynamic to the battle, something we haven't seen in previous battle scenes. I actually quite like the inclusion. Or but since, as far as maybe. Or since, or since. I mean, we need more elephants in action. <laughs> maybe That's another film about Hannibal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Go on, Dave. But now you want to know about the cast of characters. All I can say is this is cast perfectly. Honestly, perfectly. I, I can't fault the casting for this. And these are big characters. Like I say, you know, don't underestimate the fan base these books have and the influence these books have. These characters, people will have had an idea in their heads of how they're supposed to appear. And although they may not have pictured, say, Viggo Mortensen necessarily as Aragorn, he embodies the character so well. And he plays it so well. And he took it, everyone took it so seriously. Like Ian McKellen was asked about it. And he said, well, everyone gave up basically three to four years of their lives to film this trilogy back to back. He said, yeah, everyone, everyone was pretty passionate about the project. Everyone cared about getting their characters right and making sure everything was note perfect. And they did. You know, he cast some established actors like Viggo Mortensen had been around before. Sean Beam is in the first one. He's got a, I think his scene was cut from this one. John Noble, established New Zealand actor as Denethor, Ian McKellen, of course, Christopher Lee. But also remember he cast new actors to this, actors we didn't necessarily know quite so well. Billy Boyd, it was Pippin, I think had really just done British TV before. Dominic Monaghan, I don't think many people knew before Lord of the Rings. Orlando Bloom was another one. He took a real gamble on a new cast and it really paid off. Mm -hmm. Established actors mixed with new actors. It was perfectly cast. I wouldn't change a thing. And, you know, Andy Serkis as Gollum was, you know, we know, we all know the voice, even if you've not seen the film. Even it's, if we can't do the voice. Even if we can't do the voice, we all know it. And 
Uh, he's in the zeitgeist now. You know, Andy Serkis's spin on Gollum is is just it's a huge milestone in pop culture. So much so, people are even saying that yeah, I know he's CGI animated, but Andy Serkis should have got an Oscar nomination or yeah. something like that. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. you know, he did the facial recognition software. He did, he acted the moves out. He's he's basically given a performance. They just CGI'd over him, but it wasn't enough, and he didn't get any recognition really. But he's fantastic, and honestly, the entire cast. They don't put a foot wrong. It got very few uh, acting mentions as far as award season goes. I mean, you know, it won 11 Oscars and it won five BAFTAs, four Golden Globes, nine Saturn Awards. You know, it swept the board of the awards, but very little for acting. With an ensemble cast such as this, it is hard to pick out one person who excels mm-hmm. when everyone is so good. You know, and more, more awards bodies, I think, need awards for ensemble acting. And if they had, this would have swept the board. Yeah, sounds... Really, really good to be honest, Alex. How are you going to shit on this? I I can fault casting. I am going to fault casting a lot. Of what Dave said, I'd agree with there. Uh, I don't think the Hobbits are very good. I find the Hobbits extremely annoying, it, it, and I haven't watched it twenty odd times. Especially Merry and Pippin. I do find them annoying, and they they bring down the scenes they're in. But you know, Ian McKellen, Bernard Hill, Viggo Mortensen, Liv Tyler. You know, all all, all great casting. What my problem is, is uh, it's just, it's basically just a white sausage party all of the way through the film. And it is, <laughs> and it is quite difficult to make my, to, to way through. I, you know, it, it was funny watching it because I was thinking like, God, another male, do you know what I mean? Like this is, and I know this is the books and stuff like that, but, and, and it is just basically just, just a, a lot of white men. And, you know, I don't think that's something bad that you can look back at Lord of the Rings. I'm not saying that, you know, you should castigate this film because it didn't have the diversity outlook that we have nowadays. I I think they would be cast differently, I think, these days. But I do think it makes it boring. I think what it made me think of is that diversity in casting isn't just like something you want because it's morally good. It makes it much more interesting to watch the film. And I think some characters could have been just, you know, from different backgrounds or from different cultures. And I think it would have made it a much more interesting thing to watch, to be honest. I I, I just find it, it, it's very, it's very white and it's very male. And after a while, you're just like, oh, look, another, another guy's coming on. And the main thing I think as well is like, you know, even though the cast, you know, don't particularly drop the ball or anything like that. Again, coming back to story a little bit, it's the absence of certain characters that we should have in this story. If we don't think about Lord of the Rings, it had to stay, you know, central to the book. We, we just needed an antagonist, a better, an, or just an antagonist. You know, in the first films, you've got the uruk and you've got sort of Saruman. The second one, you've got then, you know, Saruman takes, you know, centre stage and, you know, the orcs are, you know, attacking. In this one, at the end of the film, when you've been building up, you've been going Sauron, the Lord of Chaos, Sauron, 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 Sauron. He doesn't even fucking turn up. And it's apt, it's annoying in the book and it's devastating to the film. what you try and have is this the witch king is basically one of the nazgul the people on the flying horses and stuff like that Mm -hmm. take that role and they say you know and they try to be in charge but it's just not good enough and the fact that you've been building up this terrible this terror this sauron and he doesn't even pitch up to his own film it's just bizarre it's like you know it's like we, we talk about hans gruber for all of Die Hard, and he never shows his face it's just it's bizarre and it's ridiculous and it's something i think to modernize it and make it a better film it, they, they should have done it so i wouldn't say the cast do a particularly bad job but casting wise i think it's it's a bit dull looking at these actors on screen and 
the fact that you don't even see the big bad guy turn up at the end it is just criminal and makes it a very anticlimactic watch. And, and an anticlimactic watch, by the way, that ends once the ring's been in and the antagonist is over, you've still, I paused it and it was still 28 minutes of the film left. Now, and to be fair, some of that's like the credits and stuff. So it was about 25, 24, 25 minutes of the film to sum up. And for me, that's just, it's presumptuous. And considering there wasn't even like a real showdown at the end, just extremely annoying. So yeah, the lack of a good antagonist and the fact that the cast is just by their nature a bit boring to watch after a while because it's pretty much the same thing you're looking at not not good enough but if you like bearded men talking extremely seriously you will love this film i love that it sounds like poetry night at stamps <laughs> bearing in mind that you are the instigator of this podcast which is mainly bearded men talking very seriously <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay Right. I think I'm going to move on to closing statements, to be honest, because time's getting away with this a little bit, but I'm conscious that Alex dropped a few sticks of dynamite at the end there. So <laughs> maybe uh, Dave and Ozzy might want to incorporate some retorts into their closing arguments as well. So I'll maybe give you guys a little time to think about that. I'll start with Joel, closing arguments. What I'd say is, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan and you enjoyed the first two films, I think you'll be left wanting a little bit here. The first two films are full of exciting moments, you know, full of peril, um, you know, kind of genuine character development. And I think here, some of the choices Peter Jackson made, I think it shows that they spent the best part of a decade working on this because I think he probably got to Return of the King and thought, I'm really fucking bored of this now, I want to go home. And I think he's cut a few corners where he shouldn't have done. And I think if they had split the films up as they tend to do nowadays with, with trilogies and things like that, like Infinity War and Endgame obviously weren't all filmed at the same time. Um, I think it would have made a better film. Um, so I think they've kind of shot themselves in the foot in terms of this film could have been a lot better than it was. Thank you very much, Joel. Ozzy, closing statement from yourself. I think that the Lord of the Rings is probably one of the greatest uh, the, the entire trilogy, but certainly Return of the King, I think, is one of it's one of the purest examples of a fantasy action film. Um, and it's a proper emotional roller coaster. So some of the scenes which Alex and Joel have talked about is saying it was a bit uh, messy, like the Pipping doing this song as the horses horsemen are riding out to die. That is an absolutely brilliant, poignant piece of cinema, and it's fantastic. And you know, and one thing we didn't really touch upon throughout is probably the most important cast of the entire film, and that is the the music. The music that goes along throughout the entire, the score of this, the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy is just epic, and it's perfectly placed at all times. The quiet moments, the loud moments, all the way throughout, and it really helps to, in, to increase the enjoyment of the film. It's a timeless, I'd say a masterpiece of, of, uh, of film, and I don't think it is one to be forgotten anytime soon. Okay, well, thanks, Ozzy. Alex? Uh, for me, it comes down to, like, what, what is there not enough of and what is there too much of? I don't think there's enough humour in the film, and I don't think, you know, for example, like the Gimli and Legolas, I would have liked to have seen a lot more of that. And I just don't think, you know, there's not enough difference in between the characters. There's just, you know, like I say, extremely serious people in beards saying extremely serious things. Too much is there's just too much of the same 
scenes between like Sam and Frodo, the same scenes between Denethor and, you know, people who keep telling him what the obvious thing to do is and he says he's not going to do it. There's far too much destruction on these gigantic battlefields where the scale is so CGI great that you don't really know what's going on. There's far too much jumping between sequences that just makes it extremely boring. And the main thing for me is there's just far too much overwrought dialogue. So the balances are all off and, yeah, returned. Oof, thank you very much. And Dave, closing statement from yourself. Yeah, this film caps off this trilogy so well it is epic in every sense of the word the books were so influential they were so they were a milestone of their time and this film is a milestone in cinema it swept the board at the oscars it won everything that it was down uh, nominated for and i know we awards don't mean everything but it's a kind of a good indicator of how good the technical aspects were of this film. Like Ozzy said, how good the score was, how good the direction was. Behind the scenes, this was an absolute opus. I think making them all together in one go was a stroke of genius. It was a bold undertaking, but I think it really paid off. And, you know, you got a perfect cast, perfect score. You've turned quite a clunky but influential book into a concise and compelling work of cinema. And that isn't easy, you know. Credit to the screenwriters for turning this into the into the ma- ma- uh, massive film that it became. Ultimately, this will go down as one of the greatest trilogies of all time. And when you think of all the great trilogies we've had over the years, that's that's no mean feat. And yeah, this is undoubtedly one of the most decorated films for a good reason. Thank you very much, Dave. A little bit disappointed, Dave. I'm not going to lie. I thought you were going to say, long live the king. <laughs> Feels a bit tasteless in current circumstances, but uh, the king's here to stay. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, that, right, I've got lots to think about here, guys. And I think while I'm doing that, we're going to have a nice little quiz. Fingers crossed, delivered from Aussie. We are going to have a quiz. And I actually had an extra week to think about it and wasted that week. So So here we are. It's a a loosely uh, Lord of the Rings based quiz. Originally, I was going to try and describe lots of everyday things in in the same way that Tolkien might have done and then get you to guess what I was describing. But um, yeah, that took me the best part of the, the first week. So then the second week was done just a a slightly quicker quiz. Um, So in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, how many times does uh, Tolkien use the name Gandalf? In the books or the film, sorry? Uh, Either way, you're just going to guess a number, so it doesn't really matter. (laughs) (laughs) But in the the books. Just play along, Alex. Just shut up. Yeah. And just <laughs> just in, shut up and say in, a number, Alex. So in, the, in the books. So, uh, Six hundred. Yeah, so uh, no. Seven hundred. No. Um, higher or lower? All right. I was going to do higher or lower. I feel like it's mean on the two that already... Yeah, but be guess. mean, honestly. Be mean. <laughs> <laughs> Is it like uh, one or something? Four hundred and twenty. No. One thousand. 1065 times Jesus. Gandalf, which is pretty impressive that, uh, some of that's just on one page as well he just lost his shit for a little bit he thought yeah. no one had noticed because no one had read that far it's one of those songs it's one of those like, Gandalf Gandalf, oh, Gandalf. <laughs> Gandalf 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 and it goes on for five pages um, which of these is not 
an advert for potatoes, but it's actually a line from uh, Lord of the Rings. So the first one is, eat more potatoes. You have toads, <laughs> sweet potatoes. Dig those potatoes. Second one is, I don't want no potatoes. You know, <laughs> potatoes, give me gas. <laughs> that, not all of them are adverts. Some of them are just quotes from other films. Uh, <laughs> there are no small gatherings when the potato peeling starts. And potatoes, boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. Stick them in a stew. That, that's the last one. Mash them, stick them in a stew. I think a remix went round at the time. It has never left my head. Yeah, (laughs) there we go. So yeah, number four is the Lord of the Rings one. Number one is actually an advert for potatoes. Number two is uh, from the Nutty Professor. Potatoes have an advert. Potatoes. Was there a bit where the potato thing dipped and like the lobby were like, we need to (laughs) (laughs) spend more money on the advertising of potatoes. We need to make potatoes sexy again. People buying other carbs. Did they have like a picture of Uncle Ben? Like this guy's our biggest rival, guys. (laughs) I didn't. I didn't. I didn't actually see any of the TV advert. I just saw the quote. Um, and then the other one, there are no small gatherings. That's from my big fat Greek wedding. Here are some uncommon words. We've already talked about the elephant um, that Tolkien in the room. Got. The elephant um, in the room. And he made up so many words. You know, he's a prolific wordsmith, much like Shakespeare before him. Uh, some may say even more of a visionary than, than, than Big Bill. <laughs> But whole dictionaries have been written to help people decipher the language and work his way through. So please give me your descript- your definition of the following talking words. The first one is cockshut light. Cockshut <laughs> light. Cockshut uh, light. Yeah. Does it mean like quickly? No. Turn, turn off the lights with you. Maybe if I say it's <laughs> that's, 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 that's literally all I had in my head. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Tell you so. Uh, the official term is that it's the evening twilight when woodcocks fly through clearings called cock shoots and be netted. He was a, he was an innocent man, wasn't he? Talking. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't have any mates going like, no, come on, Jay, oh, oh, no, oh, don't. No. You can't write that. Yeah, occur. Hmm? Occur. Although I, I wasn't. I didn't think he invented this word, but he may have Did dropped it? a letter. It means like dog or something. It does it? mean a worthless or ill-tempered dog. He may have borrowed that from Big Bill himself. But uh, <laughs> what about a dwimmer crafty? Dwimmer crafty. That's a. Is that like a type of person? Yeah, it is a type of person. But what type of person would be dwimmer crafty? A dwarven. Yeah, they they either live in the mountains or under the mountains. Mm, not quite. In caves or something. Someone who is skilled in the art of magic. Okay. Yeah. How about this then? What do the following Lord of the Ring quotes have in common? Give it to us raw and wriggling. Toss me. <laughs> <laughs> Toss me. And looks like meat's back on the menu, boys. Oh, one last one. I don't know half of uh, you, half bio, as well as I should. They're like. orcs, aren't they? Are they uh, Toss me, Gimli. No, let me let me do the last one as well, and then maybe uh, you get there. I don't know half of you, half as well as I should like, and I like less than half of you, half as well as you deserve. Bam. Uh, Tolkien wrote them all when he was high on opioids. 
<laughs> these are actually the they're the, they're the top 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 yeah. answers on the uh, one of my most popular Reddit threads of uh, the best Lord of the Rings quotes that you could use in bed. <laughs> <laughs> I like less than half of you. Half, wait, wait. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What are um, base during the um, the Battle of Blackgate? So that last scene where they could only use you know a tenth of the number of. Uh, of men that, that Joel thought would have been uh, acceptable. What was the very, very real danger that the actors faced during those scenes? Uh, dehydration. Just tell me the earthquake was real and wasn't CGI. Uh, not quite, but... <laughs> real but elephants. Not, but, but not, not, not a mile away. Is um, any, Anyone want to hazard one last guess? A volcano erupted. Uh, that wasn't no. CGI either. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My doom's real. So actually, the they filmed it on a military battlefield that had uh, unexploded uh, ordnance around, and they didn't realise at the time, so they ended up shipped into a small space rather than the full original plan. Landmines going off, and people think it's part of, the, <laughs> part of the film. But the weird thing is, like, has anyone invaded New Zealand, or is it just? I mean, have they planted their own landmines? <laughs> I, was <wondering. laughs> I was wondering this as well. Yeah, it's uh, to keep people from leaving. <laughs> <laughs> Keep the sheep, sheep that wander off too far. Just keep the sheep population down. <laughs> um, we're getting close to the end now. The, um, it, the Return of the King was the second highest grossing film of the 2000s. But what was the first? Bam. Avatar. Joel's straight in there. You didn't buzz, so I'll knock you oh, half a buzz. point. But you got, the, you got it right, so I'll give you one and a half points. <laughs> And then um, over, <laughs> over. That's, that's more. Fun. <laughs> over all three, <laughs> films, over all three of the Lord of the Rings films, how many extras were used? And I'll accept to the nearest thousand. Sixty-nine thousand. <laughs> uh, eleven thousand. Eleven. Less than sixty-nine. More than eleven. Fifteen. More than 15. 21,000. Oh, close. 26,000 extras. Mm-hmm. Were used. Wow. And it could well have been 26,490, but I did it to the nearest thousand. So, uh, and I did I feel, it. I was going to say, I feel we should take off six because Peter Jackson kept reusing his own kids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were, that was going to be in my, uh, in my list was how many uh, members of cast were actually. Just family Peter of Jackson. Uh, Peter Jackson. Yeah. Um, so that is the quiz. The winner here. <laughs> and back to you, Gav. Okay. So, yes, this has been quite difficult for me to assess because, as you know, I'm not the biggest Lord of the Rings fan. And there were several things that both the defense and prosecution said throughout this that made me think this sounds pretty shit. (laughs) (laughs) Now, it it doesn't, I'm not going to lie, if if I'm being completely impartial, it doesn't sound as fun or or funny or light as the previous ones did, perhaps. And it does sound very dialogue heavy, but this was a very sort of dense book that it was based on. But... It does sound like there are some real gems of dialogue in there. And maybe even if you have the most unengaging 
dialogue if you have the right cast members with presence and gravitas to deliver it then it can sound like shakespeare but it does sound with that cast it sounds like it's a really 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 good assembled cast really great screen presence it does still sound like there are some issues it does sound like that perhaps the cast could have been a little bit more diverse and maybe it needed more of an antagonist you know it does sound a little bit disappointing that Saren doesn't even pitch up at the end but the weaknesses in in the script i think are made up for by the brilliant score the cgi the both the defense and prosecution have both said still holds up to this day the fact that they used so many thousands of extras and tangible practical effects costumes sets and and i think for me one of the strongest argument points was that even ultimately super fans of the lords of the rings books still praise this adaptation now on a personal level it sounds like i'm gonna fucking hate this film it sounds like i'm really really gonna struggle through this <laughs> but in order of fairness and based on the arguments that have been put to me here today i'm not using my own opinion even though i am really gonna struggle watching this bastard i am gonna place this on the hit list <laughs> very good very good okay. Thinking ahead, you were probably the worst person to try. Yeah, yeah, we should, we should have spotted that early on yeah. in there. Do, do you know how many times I, I nearly just thought, yeah, wouldn't it be really funny just to put it on the shit list? <laughs> do you know, I was like, I was like, yeah, okay, I mean, yeah, it won an Oscar, but Suicide Squad has an Oscar. But then again, you know, you can't say it's won, it's won 11 Oscars, even Suicide Squad won 11, you know, to win 11 Oscars, you've got to be something special, haven't you? So, yeah. It, it's on the hit list and I will not enjoy watching that this weekend and I will give you all a running commentary throughout. <laughs> um, anyway, real opinions. Let's find out. Dave, uh, I don't imagine yours is too dissimilar, but... Um, you, you're right, you're going to hate this. Yeah, you're going to hate it. It's, it's not your kind of film at all. Uh, a lot of what Alex said was absolutely but on the money, to be honest with you. It is a bit of a slog. I like Lord of the Rings films. I thought the first two were a bit better. This one does get a bit dull. But that said, you know, it won the Oscars. I think, I think the Oscars were really awarded to the trilogy. Yes. More than the film itself, more than this individual film. Because to be fair, the first two films got absolutely shunned mm-hmm. by the Oscars. So maybe this made up for it. The fact that, it, but I think it's an award for the trilogy more than anything else. And as a trilogy, it's, it's it is a landmark in cinema. It is phenomenally good. Uh, it is incredible what what Peter Jackson was able to put together here. Yeah, special effects, cast, everything is good. It's just it's a bit of a slog, but the book is a bit of a slog. Mm-hmm. I do think they adapted it better than anyone else could have. I think it's the best adaptation of the Lord of the Rings we're going to get. You just got to acknowledge that, as Alex said, your source material can be a bit grueling at times. It's very it's a very good film. It's a hundred percent on the right list. You're going to hate it, but I really yeah. like it. Okay, thank you very much, Dave. Well put, Joel. Your thoughts? I like it. Like it's got sentimental value to me. I suppose like some parents you know read the kids thomas the tank engine my dad read lord of the rings to me when i was like four or four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I, re- I really enjoy it yeah like i think a lot of the stuff that i said and alex said it is also true like but i think that's kind of watching it with older and more experienced eyes now as well like the first time i saw this like in the cinema was you know it blew me away and I just remember being like obsessed with it for a while when it was released. So it's definitely on the right list, but I agree with Dave. The the Oscars were definitely given to the trilogy rather than this film. 
Okay, good stuff. Thank you very much, Joel. Talking about old eyes. Ozzy, what did you think? I loved it. Yeah, I think it's a really good film. I think it's a great combination of like years and years of, of work. And I think you really see that throughout it. But as a trilogy, it works brilliantly. Um, I love all of the, everything that goes around it. I love the making of type pieces that, that's been presented of it. It's just, it's just a great piece of work. Like, yes, of cinematography, um, but just to see how everything pieces together. I think it's just, I think it's really good. This is the weakest of the three. I, I was reticent to talk about actual scenes because we I paid for the extended versions and I was not going to pay again to have the the normal release so um, some of the scenes that I started talking about I wasn't sure if they were actually in the uh, in the main <laughs> one so because lo- loads got cut you know so um, a lot of what was cut is expository dialogue you know it's a lot of there is a lot of talking in this one in amongst the action so you're going to hate it for sure but I think it's a great film okay thank you very much and and Alex I'm more interested to hear what you have to say on this did you hate it as much as you made out yeah I don't like it I'm probably with you though a bit like you know maybe maybe it is a good film and you know maybe it does deserve to go on but I just don't really like it I like the first one I like the second one I don't think they're perfect and I think they're over long as well but this one just uh, takes the piss, I think, and it just doesn't... I just didn't feel like it was trying to entertain me as much as the other two films and was mm-hmm. just a bit sort of like, I'm going to tell this overwrought, overhyped story. And, um, yeah, just and, and I just can't forgive the fact that it's, it's about 20, 25 minutes until after they've done what they were going to do of just talking again. So, so for me, it puts me off watching the first one and two because you sort of feel then you have to watch this one and I, I think it's a bit of a shame that, that that you end on a bit of a a lower note than the other two. Mm-hmm. But I also do think like the Godfather. Yeah, <laughs> oh God, no, Joe, come on. <laughs> uh, like, if you listen to our episode on Godfather three, I, I have many times, it's, Dave. It's a every, hitless film. Every time, Dave, I listen to it outside your house in, <laughs> with my earphones in in the dark, just just making the right choice every night, Dave. Every, every night, <laughs> making the right choice. Um, yeah, it's just it's just not fun, and I just think that's criminal in an adventure film. I just didn't find it fun, but I, I think to a certain extent that. Is, that is my my choice. Okay, thank you very much, Alex. And thank you very much, guys, for all your arguments. Higher or lower than our previous film on trial, which was The Phantom Menace, which scored 51% critical and 59% audience scores. Do we think it's higher or lower than that? Touch higher? I think it might be touch higher. <laughs> <laughs> if it's not higher, I will I will do something drastic to George. Lewis. Yeah, it's got to be higher. I think this is like one of the higher films you can get, I think. Yeah. Like Yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna beat around the bush here. It is ninety-three percent on critical and eighty-six percent audience. So pretty high scores to be honest. Maybe even mm. one of the highest ones we've ever put on trial. So well uh-huh. done to the prosecution for putting up such a good fight, to be honest. Okay, so Thank you very much for your arguments, guys. You'll be happy to hear that our blockbuster season continues in two weeks' time as we barrel on through to the 2010s as we put the Fast and Furious 7 on trial. 
just in the meantime thank you very much for your arguments and thank you very much to anybody who has listened to this episode we really appreciate everybody who takes the time out to listen to us if you want more films on trial content check out filmsontrial.co.uk you can catch our episodes on any podcast platform and follow us on all the socials at film trials on twitter and films on trial on everything else so what have we learned today well we've learned that there's a fucking elephant in lord of the rings 3 for some bizarre <laughs> reason that maybe you shouldn't watch a film 20 times in a row <laughs> no matter how good it is and also that cock shut light isn't <laughs> <laughs> a metaphor. And ultimately, that The Return of the King is a hit film. And we're going to be directly in your ears in two weeks' time with The Fast and the Furious 7, aka Furious 7, aka 7 Fast, 7 Furious. <laughs> uh, goodbye. I think I watched The Fast and Furious films from four until eight like in consecutive nights and they all just blur into one giant rock i see i see a problem in your film watching habits that might be why you don't (laughs) enjoy so many of them yeah i mean i watched them in lockdown i had no choice i'd I'd gone my life never watching a single fast and the furious film and i was happy well, yeah. When you say you had no choice, Dave, did someone break into your house and lock down and be like, <laughs> Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel. <laughs> Diesel broke into my house, set Michelle Rodriguez on me, and she beat me up. Yeah. I, don't think, I don't think The Rock really made that much of a difference. You know, box office twice, I think it was you. <laughs>